You're listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast, illuminating the unheard stories of today's top leaders in impact with your host, Gino Borges. Welcome back to the Poetry of Impact podcast, introducing Steph Von Dongen. In today's episode, Steph is an innovator and entrepreneur whose life work is focused on exploring how humans can live in harmony with nature and each other. He is the founder of Pioneers of Our Time and is currently working on the Muga Valley Project in Spain. Special thanks to Tonic for introducing me to Steph. In this episode, Steph talks about his childhood dream of growing up to be a forest guard and how that has transpired in his life today. He tells us how he integrates lessons from nature into his daily life, like thinking in abundance rather than greed, and expanding his time horizon from short term to long term. Steph opens up about what he feels is his purpose in life, to write a beautiful life song, and to do so, his work is to keep his instruments in tune, his body, mind, and spirit. What this looks like on the outside is his creation of a beautiful and balanced physical space where other change makers can come to build trust and relationships with one another and nature. Drop in and listen to Steph as he reveals his deep attunement with the natural world and all the living beings around him. Hi, Steph. Great to have you here today. Hey, Gino. Same here. Thank you for the invitation. And tell us a little bit about where you're calling in from. I'm at the moment in Spain. I'm on the top of a mountain in a very remote area here in the northeast of the Pyrenees. It's a beautiful night sky actually today. All right. So you're obviously the first interviewee on the Poetry of Impact podcast that has been calling in from the Pyrenees. And I'm looking in and it looks like you're calling in from a log cabin. So it's just not this normal situation that some people call in from, which is their house in a metro area or suburban area. How in the world did you end up in the Pyrenees? And are you there full time? What's the story? I live here most of my time. My childhood dream was actually to be a forest guard, guardian of the forest. And when I was 35, I started to look for land and realizing, okay, I need to realize my childhood dream. And after 12 years of looking around in Europe, I decided it will be Spain. And I decided to walk the Pyrenees from the East Coast, from Sebastian to the West Coast, I got a guess, to actually take a couple of months to explore the Pyrenees and to feel where I wanted to live and to feel the communities and, yeah, learn about the different sites and got lost in the forest, fell in love <laughs> with, the, with the energy and, and, the, and the views and got to know the owner and the rest is history. <laughs> so we're going to circle back to your life in the forest and this forest guardian, but what happened or what allowed you that moment when you gave yourself permission to go on this journey? Because you were probably much more in the front country before you set foot in the forest and did all these travels. Can you tell us a little bit about that epiphany moment? It's like, yes, you had this childhood dream, but there's also a moment in adult life where you realize, okay, now's the time to actually pursue it. So I've been working for almost 18 years in the impact sector, in the impact field, like venture philanthropy, impact investing, setting up social ventures, like activist companies. I was working in finance, setting up micro pension funds, a little bank in India to finance clean up to rickshaws, electrical to rickshaws. Working in food and in industry chain, so we set up cargo ships that are powered by hydrogen. But actually, what triggered me mostly was my work in India and Africa. So we were working a lot in slums with slum dwellers, like people in the informal markets and the informal sectors. And 
after building relationships with them for 10 years or so, you get to know them and you, you learn about their life stories and how they actually end up where they were. And I got to know that most of them were migrants from the rural areas around those big cities. And they shared that basically they moved to the cities because their lands did not produce anymore. Their lands are practically dead. And so I did some research and it turned out that, like, of course, the mass migration is caused by the severe degradation of our soils. And 30% of our soils are already severely degraded. And we are like, actually, the other seven or like up to 70%, we are actually rapidly degrading. And so it was for me a big insight to say, okay, if we lose our soils and our forests, we lose our water, we lose our food, we lose basically life will be difficult on earth. So that was one of my big insights to said, okay, everything I'm doing here, setting up like various social business and around the world, we had offices in seven countries. So the okay, but practically will not be relevant anymore if there is no base for life. So that was a big shift in my life and the impact work that I was doing. And the other insight I had was I was working with a lot of people with leadership positions in societies, like presidents or ministers of finance or CEOs of banks or those kind of things. And I felt like people are taking very important decisions for the future of the world and the direction for a lot of people's lives. And they actually were very disconnected with themselves and with nature and about the consequences of the decisions that they make. And so I thought if those people would be more connected to themselves and to nature, would their decisions be different and more beautiful? So that was a second big shift or like insight that I had that made the shift towards going back to the land and the wilderness and my childhood dream. When you mentioned this idea of connecting with nature and informing the decisions, what kind of decisions originate when somebody is disconnected from nature versus when somebody is connected with nature in terms of what you have seen? Well, nature doesn't think in political cycles or like career cycles or nature is thinking in cycles. So the forest here is like you think in two, three hundred years. We have forests here a thousand years. Trees, the taxes tree can become a thousand years. So in order for such a forest to evolve, the whole ecosystem around it is thinking long-term, thinking regeneration. It got me back to the indigenous way of thinking. Like indigenous people are often very connected to nature. And that's why they think, I think, in seven generations, no? Because this is how nature works. So I think it's an important distinction between like short-term thinking and long-term thinking. Abundance is, I think, another one. Nature thinks in abundance and behaves like abundant in abundance. While most of people are thinking for their own benefit and like sometimes even really in greed. And so I think if you're really connected to nature and nature is your teacher, then you'll see that it's short-term thinking and exploiting other people or like in destructive way of going. And I think people, if you are connected to nature, every day more and more I realize that we are nature. The tree, the rock, the animal, the soil, it's us and it's all energy and it's just in a different composition. And having that realization makes you think different. I feel like I wear two caps. One is my front country cap that looks at potential energy markets and how that influences climate and how energy is conceived of as this product that runs through our house and our cars and our airplanes and that. And then you're referring to kind of this interior embodied energy that is at the life force level. 
And so when you move from that commodity frame of thinking about nature to an energy-based framework for thinking about nature and including yourself as a source of energy and life force, you know, how has that influenced your own existence versus thinking of the forest as a commodity itself or just a sheer commodity? Once I got the insight that I am energy, basically, and, and my life energy is my, my largest resource that I have in this life, in this lifetime, I had some spiritual insights that if, to connect my energy with other beings. And the more I align my own energy, my own energy is like in resonance with everything around me the more I have the feeling of oneness, perhaps it's feel, that sounds a bit weird, but I'll give you an example. Like the walk I did, I took the two months for crossing the Pyrenees. I walked two peaks a day. So it's like also physically, like it was a tough thing to do. And then I came back basically from a very busy period. I exited my company. I split up, my, I like broke up with my relationship, my, my girlfriend. And it sounds like okay, a question to like my house, you know, like my home. Until I live there, continue living there. So I was, I, came, I was coming from this really distortion, <laughs> basically. Sure. Kind of. And so the first two or three weeks, I was walking and I was in my head a lot. But in the first week, it was basically questions about very practical day-to-day -day questions. I think the second week, it became more the life questions and the purpose question and those kind of things. And the third week... I got more deeper insights, like love and the energy question, basically. And then the fourth week, I started to be empty. And I think it was a sign for the animals because suddenly, then the first three weeks, I didn't see an animal. Of course, I saw animals, but I didn't see them in my close environment. And so in the fourth week, like the, the animals were showing up. And so deer, mouflon, which are like mountain sheep, they're very shy. And they were just staying next to my tent. And that one day... I had a conversation with a bird <laughs> or a conversation. I had a play with a bird and the bird actually ended up sitting on my hand and I could throw it away and it came back. And so and for me, the thing I took from there is like the insight that I am energy, my body and my soul, my mind, actually they're my instrument to write my life song and to play my life song. And if you study like music, you know that your instruments should be in tune so it should be resonating and if it's in tune everything else will be in tune as well and so the animals will start speaking to you like you understand my senses like i was so sensitive for everything like the air against my skin like going inside my lungs all the smells i was very sharp in observing and actually sensing what was around me and so i then they decided i the purpose in my life is to write a beautiful life song. And so it should be an interesting, special and, and exciting life song. And the, and the way the melody of it should be beautiful. And I, and I need to actually then have my instrument, my body, my soul, my mind, they should be in tune. And I should actually work on that, that they are in tune. And I think from there, I became more peaceful inside. And then also started to read about and to learn about the concept of emergence. And so living with the rhythm of nature, observing what's there and what's the need of land, what's the need of the people that are living on the land, what's the need of the other beings that are living on the land, and started to see the world in a different way. And I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but like for me, 
that perspective on the world and on life is all about energy and managing that energy for yourself and relating to the energy of others and not only humans i think if i eat now like because i see how much effort it takes to grow tomatoes you know for instance or like i'm really thankful for it and it's so different the type of soil it grows on the taste that it has and so this journey now like and that's why i don't want to leave here anymore because i feel really grounded here and, and learning so much every day well let's talk a little bit about where you're at and share a little bit more of how you have materially manifested that attunement in other words, so you just got done sharing a little bit about your journey with attunement and getting your soul and body aligned with the, the outer world and the natural world. But you've also created, it's just not you as in Steph's world, but you've actually went beyond and are trying to create a place for people to actually do that work. And that is not easy. You know, I've been interested in land-based retreat centers for the past 15 to 20 years in part because they've been some of the most moving experiences in my life. When I go there, I experience a little bit of that white space you're talking about where you go from thinking a lot the first week to all of a sudden time and space kind of dissolve into nothingness and there's a certain peacefulness and a nice rhythm and a sense of attunement that occurs as a result of being in that place. So the lure has always been to not just participate and potentially co-create and create that with others as well. Hence why I'm really intrigued by this conversation. And I feel like I've been trying to lay the groundwork for Steph's background a little bit on how we got here. And now we can jump into what I'm guessing listeners are going to say, okay, so what does this guy do on a day-to-day -day basis, right? <laughs> yeah. They already got lost already. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's like, that's part of the process of these conversations. But what I like about it is that you're also a person of action. You've actually taken your attunement and materialized it for others and put it into place. What's the best way for us to understand that part of your journey? So, there are, I think, three things. One is I wanted to realize my childhood dream. So, I did Guardian of the Forest now, and I really like it. Secondly, like the experience that I just described, I want to share that with as many people as possible because it's so enriching and so beautiful. And so I created this place called The Home. So you come at my home. And so, of course, it's a retreat center. It's like a hotel setting. But the whole concept is created around it. you coming at my home. I live here, and so you really come to my home. So you can take, if you want, you can cook yourself. You can take something from the fridge. Or, and if you don't feel like it, then, of course, we have a, excellent chef and kitchen staff to make your meals but in the home basically is a safe space for change makers it's a space in europe where you can disconnect from your busy lives you cross the river walking bare feet and you enter i call it paradise to actually start connecting and do your inner work connecting with yourself and your peers well and like immersing yourself in nature and we basically do that around the concept of well-being and co-working. So well-being is taking care of yourself, taking good rest, be active in nature. You can meditate, do yoga. We have yoga teachers here. Treat yourself with the good, healthy food that we grow here. Drink the water from the mountain or the river, whatever you want. Take a massage. Read your book next to the pool if you want. So it's like really taking care of yourself 
in the world uh, sense. And the other hand is the co-working. It's like the things you actually are that are very important to you, but because of your busy life, you don't give it priority. Writing your journal, reflecting on your life, making plans for your next steps, writing a book, writing your article, writing a song or a poem, those kind of things. It's like we create space for that. And we call it me time. And to really, in the sphere of well-being, treat yourself with me time. And so that's one element. And the second element is everybody has a gift. And all the people that come here are very special, like from beautiful entrepreneurs that do beautiful things to impact investors, to philanthropists, to politicians, to ministers of state, mayors of cities, people from the UN, like change makers, basically. And everybody has a gift. So we don't have a program besides the well-being and uh, co-working. The program is that people share their gifts and enrich themselves with those gifts. And it's basically a way to build trust and relationship in, in between the people. And so beautiful things are happening, like family constellation to like coaching of different projects that people are doing, um, music. A lot of people are very musical, like they play or they sing or dancing, workshops about, especially for women's circles, about women leadership all kinds of things you can think of but it depends really on the guests that are here the program that emerges and we do that for groups so people from the bmw foundation or the unfccc or like the foundation for museums of the future those kind of groups that are really value aligned they come here they bring their their global networks basically here and then throughout summer we have individual hangouts we call them and so people can book their individual stay and we curate basically then the program around it. again, well-being, co-working and your gift. So that's in short, the home, the location is, we are in the middle of the forest, beautiful forest, very remote. We are auto-sufficient, I call it, self-sufficient in, in terms of water and food and electricity. You walk around here in the evening, you meet a deer, you know, like the animals are all over here. That's a beautiful experience. So when I started a home, the first one year and a half, I actually did not do that much. I actually started observing, like I said, like applying the concept of emergence. And I got to know the people in the village. I organized pizza parties at my place because I have a, like an authentic like pizza oven. Weekend. So people were like collaborating and, and making pizzas for the whole village. Like the three villages here, like 120 people <laughs> sometimes were eating pizza here. And I got to know that, okay, so basically the valley where the home is located is abandoned. It's a beautiful wilderness area, but like the forests are abandoned. The villages are abandoned. Like the, the average age of the people living here is 60, 70 plus. There are no houses for young people. There's no work. We lost around 30% of the water volume in the past 25 years. So like there are really serious issues here going on in this valley. No economy and ecology is going down. And so I thought, wow, the project of soil and forest that I was talking about earlier What's happening in the world, basically, our soils and our forests are dying or being severely degraded all around the world. Where are those soils and forests? They are in the rural areas. And the rural areas have been massively abandoned the past 50 years. But we need a lot of people here to restore and regenerate soils and forests. So how are we going to fix that? So this is how the Munga Valley Project emerged. And I said, okay, can I create a demonstration case in Europe where we regenerate the ecosystem, the forest ecosystem here, and actually explore what kind of economy serves doing that. 
And so there the rural regenerative economy concept came from. So before I knew it, I initiated this project together with my business partner, Vicky, which was also my business partner in MVU, the, the social, the, the venture building studio that was started earlier. And what we do is basically the valley is like, it's a huge valley over like 300,000 hectares of forest. i building a farm here, a forestry farm. The dream is to have the farm of 5,000 hectares, which actually serves as a laboratory for the valley to actually do innovations in the innovative forestry business, regenerative forestry business, agriculture, agroforestry, whatever it can be, to bring back work and life to the valley. And the idea is to make it a commercial farm. It should be a profitable farm, which in itself, if it's profitable and it's an ecological zone, regenerating the ecosystem of the forest, it's like an example how we can live and work in harmony with nature. So that's fun. So one is the farm as a laboratory. And two is like building a network of universities, innovators, entrepreneurs, and investors and philanthropists to actually start building the businesses. I was inspired by actually Charlie that explained me a bit of the concept of the app store, you know. And so if you see the land as an app store, because a lot of young people don't have access to land because it's basically impossible to obtain land, no, buy land or for young people. So if I can provide the infrastructure for young farmers to come and experiment and start their own agroforestry business, they can be the app developers. Actually, basically, I bring in the land and machinery or like investments that are needed, and they actually build their business on the land. And so the Muga Valley Campus is actually focused on doing that. And then the third thing that we're doing is real estate development and building a nature tourism and co-living concepts in the valley for people that want to have a conscious lifestyle. And so with that, it's also the foundation for the business case to finance the other stuff as well. And fourthly, the thing that takes a lot of my time, but actually it's a pure philanthropy, is like the Muga Valley Partnership. It's like uh, actually facilitating a public-private partnership. Now we have 26 villages collaborating on regenerating 50,000 hectares of forest ecosystem. So 26 mayors, entrepreneurs from the valley, the state government, like biologists, people with a passion for the valley come together, creating a vision for the future. So where do you want to go with this valley? What kind of economy would serve the valley in the future, uh, regenerating it? And we found three topics that are common interests so far. It's like fire, prevention of fire, water, future of water, and then a sense of belonging. So having an identity to be there. And so yeah, the first three things we do is together with mainly the, the municipalities, we are building a fire prevention plan for the whole valley. We got 30 kilometers of the Muga River, which is the main river in the valley. We got it in Custodia, I say Custodia. The local water authorities gave us the permission basically to manage the river, which is amazing. So we can bring back all kind of animal species, flora and fauna, the turtle, river turtle, all kind of water animals. And the third thing is sense of belonging. So like creating, again, what I do here in the home, building trust and relationship between change makers is like building trust and relationship between the people in the villages. So you create a resilient society and collaboration. And so what we started to do is like organizing the festival of the valley where people celebrate nature, they celebrate food and culture and collaborating, building the festival together. And so this year we did the first pilot in, in my village in Albania 
And it was an amazing success. It was like eating together, cooking together, dancing together, singing together. Yeah. Watching the stars together. That's good living. That's definitely good living. So this is just not your plot of land that you've helped Stuart, but you're actually going out and focusing on the reverberation within the valley because you realize that the quality of experience where you're at is also going to be determined by what the health of the valley is going to be as well. Just a little bit of nuts and bolts. How much infrastructure was there on this land when you arrived? And then how much have you put in? And then also, how many people have visited and are currently visiting? Like this week, how many people have been staying at the home? This week, we are closed. Are <laughs> oh, you closed this week? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we okay. are like uh, starting enough. construction again. I think this summer we had around 500 people, 600 people staying here in the past four months passing by so when i arrived here on the property itself there are six buildings the majority of the buildings were in ruins i could live here but this was not like there was no there was hot water sometimes <laughs> in some of the place there was almost no electricity like it was i think for a normal person i love to live like this but uh, and, and now of course now i have all the facilities and the comfort again <laughs> but for the, for the first three years it was let's say like that cold winters <laughs> so we we have been renovating for three years yeah so renovating the buildings building basically the, the tourism in the infrastructure like the road towards the home the building a swimming pool we have a sauna like the whole energy infrastructure the whole sewage system and you had to put in your own septic system i'm guessing you have a septic there yeah and septic and then and what kind of energy generating platform are you using sun we have solar power and then you have battery as well for storage yeah so we have 20 kilowatt storage we have to professionalize the water like so we have a source which is enough for one or two persons but then we are now now we have we made a well that can actually facilitate the stay of like up to 60 people here so basically we have been developing the place and we have developing the land, the forest, which is an enormous undertaking. <laughs> it's enormous. It's never ending. Completely underestimated that. Yeah. It's never ending and it's always over budget. And it's kind of an endless list of things that one kind of wants as a part of a retreat center for sure. How are people finding out about you? I mean, I know you through Tonic. But even then, I really didn't know that it was up and running. Last time we talked, it was more in the visionary stage. And heck, you had 500 people there this summer. I mean, you are more than up and running. I mean, you're getting after it and actually yeah, yeah. doing it. But how are those people finding out about you? And I mean, what kind of networks are you enmeshed in for people to say, oh, that seems like a good fit for me for a period of life I'm in? Yeah, basically, the impact networks like uh, Tonic, Nexus, CSP, Catapult are the bigger networks go impact. So I'm involved in most of those networks and somehow where I was involved, like depends a bit on the state where I'm in now. And so I have invited friends and I let in friends invite their friends. So you can request a booking, but you cannot book directly. Basically it's by invitation uh, that you come here. And then what you see is most of the groups that come here the individual participants they come back like <laughs> people coming back four times <laughs> this summer really <laughs> yeah oh that's it good was... because because you haven't even been open that long people are already coming back four times that's impressive 
it's a pre-opening. Yeah, it was the pre-opening this year. The, the most interesting, or for me, like satisfying experience was that I was driving down, like I have friends, so we drove people down to the station and I was on the way for five minutes, I think. And I, this guy was sitting next to me and I saw his face changing. And at one point he says, stop the car. <laughs> he said, I am not ready yet. <laughs> and I stopped the car. He took out his baggage and he walked back <laughs> and stayed a couple of days for Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it happens like two or three times that people like really are in the, like you say, this bubble, this flow. Yeah. They don't want to leave. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's beautiful. Like you mentioned, not everybody's willing to live like Steph in a cabin with poor heating. You're probably finding a sweet spot on how to keep the experience somewhat wild, but also not on the verge of being so wildly edgy that it's tough for people to kind of sort of settle in. The concept is for every need, there's a, a fit. So people that want the sweet, they're beautiful sweets with puff tops and stuff. And people that want to have a more nature experience, we have beautiful tents. We like, like a normal bed, everything, and hot showers, but a dry toilet, for instance. So do you do composting toilets out there for the people that are glamping, and then, and then you have the septic for more of the black water? Exactly, yeah. And next year, we'll probably have also some cabins in the forest. Yeah. You've had this vision you did this walk in the Pyrenees and you sat with this experience for not just as a childhood dream, but 12 years in the making since in terms of finding the right property. Any mentors out there or place of inspiration where you visited that aren't related to the space that you're working on that you said, gosh, once I find the land, that's what I want to do, or at least a big part of what I want to do, or were you reading something and wow, if I can only incorporate that into the project I'm working on. So just curious on who's sort of the the forefathers or the foremothers of Steph's thinking process a little bit. One is the life experience. I mean, like not life experience. Before ending up here, I was searching for 12 years and I had almost bought two other places or like I was in the process of two times before, let's say it like that. And in order to do that, I had to prepare business cases and plans for those places. So I think that helped a lot to actually finally end up where I am now. Then I think Daniel Wall, he is the author of Regenerative Societies. He lives in Mallorca. He has been an inspiration in the sense of the principles of regeneration and, and, and the concept of regeneration and regenerative societies. I think Charlie Kleisner has been on the spiritual field for me, inspiration and a mentor. He's my real mentor in life. Like we see each other once a year or like twice a year and takes quality time hiking in the mountains and meditating and, and having deep conversations. And yeah, those are two important people. And then on the ground here, I've been so lucky to meet very special people. Like the biologists that I'm working with, they're amazing they're so passionate. They have so much experience in, in actually building parks or like also like maneuvering into the political and, and the social dynamics that they're like living in <laughs> that are present here. As a foreigner being in Catalonia, in Spain, in the northeast of Spain, which is Catalonia also has this independence no, uh, dynamic. 
yeah, I've been really welcomed here in a very warm way and people embracing the vision and, and stand up for me also. Not not for me, but for what we want to do. And so, yeah, I think the, the local mayors here from Albania, from San Lorenzo, the little villages around here, like the biology, they're not mentors, but indirectly I learned so much from them. And then the nature itself, being here all year round, living through the seasons and seeing food growing. Like a friend of mine, she inspired me to start making a micro season book. Like all my observations, write them down and it will be a pattern. And it's true. In August, for instance, like 19th of August at 7 p.m., the swallows come for dinner <laughs> and eat the mosquitoes. You know, the nightingale is here in June. The deer became to their mating season. It's like exactly two weeks. It's exactly two weeks. It's really amazing. This year they started the 10th of September and the 24th, it was silent again. I think nature is a teacher. My, my, my biggest teacher in that sense. Steph, such an inspiring story from going essentially from the front country world of having lots of business success and reaching a point in life where you realize like, huh, yeah, I'm doing this, but I still have this childhood dream and then actually follow through with it and then not just follow through with it, but you took your time and the patience and as you mentioned, two potential use cases before you even arrived to this one. I think it's really a testament and also a reminder of sometimes good things do take time to actually come to fruition. And then all of a sudden you've created this space and you called it a pre-opening and you had 500 people there, you know, this past summer. I know firsthand the amount of infrastructure that you're talking about, how much work there is, how it's always underestimated, <laughs> how much work there is on the land. And so I just want to give you a big impact hug and and congratulations on just getting to this point. Yes, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's really um, special. It's inspiring. Anybody that's working on the land is just working from a different temporal framework, just has a different somatic sense of life. And everything that I love about life comes from that body of energy. So thanks for being a symbol of what's possible and also not just what's possible, but what's happening. Thank you. Yeah. And before we leave, Steph, obviously people are going to want to learn more about the home and the work that you're doing. Where can people learn a little bit more about you? So we have a website, pioneersofourtime.com. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> I'm not really active, but I actually post there and the home for the pioneers of our time also is there. Best is to come and experience it. And I think people listening to this podcast are impact-driven people. And so they fit the profile of change makers. You should come next year. We open up again in May. Oh, May. Okay. Well, I plan on being in Portugal in March, so I might be a little too early. So we'll have to. Oh, no, you can come. You can come. You're always welcome. But I mean, okay. like, the, right. the season is opening for groups and like hang out again in, in May. Yeah. I think some tonic people are actually considering doing a little bit of a voyage to your place. So I'll have to check in a little bit more about what's doable there. I am traveling with my family. And I would love to show them this part, especially since my wife's from Germany and the ancestors are in Portugal. You can speak Dutch with her. <laughs> yes. All right. For all those who are listening, all the reference links and all the great stuff that Steph has shared with us today will be in the show notes. Thanks again, Steph, so much. Uh, enjoy the balance of your evening and that wine, cheese, and what else? Crackers? No, Spanish tomatoes. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. Uh, Spanish tomatoes. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Gino. 
All right. Thanks so much, Steph. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening in to today's conversation on the poetry of impact. The podcast exists for and because of listeners like you. Be sure to subscribe to the Poetry of Impact podcast on your favorite podcast player. And if you have time, leave us a review. Thanks again and goodbye for now. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast. For show notes and additional resources, visit poetryofimpact.com.